Welcome to the Hands in Motion podcast, brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. Here we will discuss all things upper extremity therapy, from assessment to treatment, the latest research, the patient experience, and other topics related to the field of upper extremity rehab. Learn more and subscribe today at ASHT.org. Hey, it's Kara and Steph back for another episode of Hands in Motion. I don't know about y'all, but I get so excited for the Olympics every two years. I was glued to my TV last month to watch the Summer Olympics and was in awe of the abilities of the athletes. So it's only fitting that on this episode of Hands in Motion, we discuss working with injured athletes. We're really excited about our guest today. We are joined by Mo Herman, immediate past president of ASHT. And fun fact about Mo is that she is an Olympic athlete herself and has used her experience as an elite level athlete to work alongside athletes each day in the clinic to return them to their sport. So welcome to Hands in Motion, Mo Herman. So this evening, we have Mo Herman here to speak with us about working with the athlete. Hey, Mo, do you want to give us a little bit of background about who you are, where you come from, what you do? Sure. First of all, thank you for having me. This time is super exciting because the Olympics are on and it's just near and dear to my heart. I'm from Toronto, Canada, and I represented Canada in the 88 Olympics for swimming. And uh, I came to the United States as a swimmer, was recruited, swam at a local college, and that's where I found occupational therapy. And through the course of my career of being a therapist and then being a hand therapist, I found like where my passion is, is working with athletes. So give us a little bit of a background about how you pulled from your personal experience, both as a professional athlete and an injured athlete to help you treat other injured athletes. I think the biggest advantage of coming from a personal background of being a professional athlete is that it creates a common ground. Like I actually understand what it's like to be an athlete, what it's like to be an injured athlete, what it's like to be away from your identity for, you know, many athletes, whether they're professional or even just weekend warriors, their identity is somewhat wrapped up in their hobby, which is their sport. We're talking about athletes. So I I can relate to that. I just understand. So I think it just creates a starting point that's easier to leapfrog working with them. Basically, I truly understand the demand of an athlete and what it's like to be removed from your sport. And I think that's the biggest experience that I bring to the table. I think, you know, putting it out there that maybe like, say somebody has a wrist fracture. Well, I don't know what it's like to have a wrist fracture. So it would be similar to that. So if I actually had a wrist fracture, then I would understand completely what it's like to be going through the process that they're going through. Very good example. It's true. It's just a common ground. It makes it relatable. And I think it actually builds trust quicker because they believe that I understand what they're going through. Absolutely. Yeah. Mo, how do you get your patients like to buy in or when they are injured and all they want to do, whether they are a professional athlete, college athlete, weekend warrior, all they want to do is get back out on the field, get back out on the, on the road, back in the pool, wherever, how do you get them to buy in? to therapy initially knowing like our goal is to get you back there, but right now we've got to protect this injury or this surgery. How do you get that buy-in from them? 
I think it's exactly what you said. You have to acknowledge their injury, acknowledge their goals, and validate that what they want is what you want, and that they have to trust you in the process because they're coming to you as the expert to rehab them, to get them back as fast and safe as possible. And that it's a partnership that you have to work together toward a common goal. And that's the buy-in. Okay. So what would you say, how does it differ treating an athlete versus treating just the everyday patient? I get some athletes here and there and the everyday patient and those athletes, they really want to get back and doing what they want to do as fast as they can. There's really... And you really sometimes have to hold them back. How do you deal with that? I think initially it's no different than that regular patients where I think some therapists feel maybe intimidated because it's an athlete. And I think just being grounded that athletes are real people and they have the same injuries and the same surgeries and need rehab, just like any other patient that we work with, where I think it changes is Our job is also to get that arm or hand or whatever's injured to go back to sport, be ready to go back to competition. And I learned years ago that no matter how great the rehab is, there's this gap from discharge from therapy to when they're actually ready to compete. And that's the gap that I think really changes when I'm treating an athlete, where I'm trying to narrow that gap so that by the time they're done with rehab, they're close or if not ready to go back to competition. So what I've done different is we start to bring the sport into the clinic sooner and capture all those elements that make athletes special with making it competitive and you know, using their arm in their normal sport mechanics and using custom fabricating orthoses to protect their, their injury or their surgery so that we can start putting their tools back in their hands. And that's what I think makes it different when you're working with an athlete. When, you know, right now, I think you made a good point about a lot of our like therapy, whether we're just not, we're expected to get patients out of the clinic and our rehab sessions or or our plan of cares are getting shorter and shorter. And there is that gap. I mean, even with patients that aren't athletes, like we do have to make our time meaningful. And I think you make a really great point there, especially with these athletes is making that gap smaller, like utilizing your therapy time that you do have to get them as close to that sport and return to sport that you can, because your time is valuable with those patients. Well, for sure. It's part of that partnership that I was talking about right away. I, in my mind, when I work with an athlete, there isn't one session that goes by that we're not doing some element that's sport specific to them. Initially, it may just be learning about their sport, learning their language, learning how their arm works in their sport while you're doing the regular therapy, right? And then quickly, we're adding in elements, whether we're problem solving the orthoses or doing intervention with their sports tools or practicing their sports sub skills or doing elements of activity analysis. Essentially, We're bringing the sport into every session and not just physically getting them ready, but mentally and building that confidence. And I hear that over and over from athletes when we do even like little skills, like putting a basketball back in their hand early, they're like, wow, that's helping me feel more confident because they're human and they have fears and they have fears of re-injury. They're no different than anyone else, but they're so stoic when they're out there, but behind the scenes, they're real people. And that bringing that in. And desensitizing that fear actually helps bridge that gap. 
So I know we might not all be treating elite and professional athletes, but I still think it's important that, you know, we do, I don't want to say treat those child athletes, teenage athletes, weekend warriors differently, but I know I've adjusted some of my treatment just to make it more focused for them so that they can be driven a little bit more. What kind of characteristics do you think that we should consider as therapists treating those all different levels of athletes? I think in general, athletes have very similar character traits. And it doesn't matter if they're weekend warriors, hobbyists, you know, college athletes, high school athletes, professional athletes. For me, it doesn't matter. They're, they're just athletes and you're tailoring your program to them, just like you're tailoring it to different types of patients that you have coming in the clinic. I think where the athletes set themselves apart and is brought into the treatment sessions is they're highly competitive across the board. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. And it starts young. The young ones are competitive too, and they're intrinsically motivated and they're they're wired to be limitless and they respond to purposeful sessions and, and sessions that have goals attached to them where you kind of you know lay out the expectations. And I think their rate of improvement tends to be faster just in general. And there's a commitment to excellence for them. Like it doesn't matter. They want to get out of there, out of rehab as fast as possible. They're going to push their limits. And I think there's, it's interesting, and it's a parallel I've been drawing to our specialty as hand therapists and upper extremity specialists. We have a lot of similarities to these athletes. You know, we're passionate and committed to our craft, just like they are. I know I'm drifting a little bit, but for me, as I was reflecting and like just reminiscing on the athletes that I work for in preparation to talking to you guys tonight, I'm always learning from them. Like they're teaching me about just watching them be committed teaches me how to be more committed. And I'm always a better therapist after every athlete that I treat. And that doesn't, it's not exclusive to professionals, if that makes sense. It's amazing what I learn about people's stories. And that's actually no different than the regular patients that we treat as well. They empower me to be a better therapist. And with the athletes, especially, I think they make me a better therapist with my regular patients because they keep me on my toes because they're so competitive and they, we have a lot of fun and we're escalating treatment. And then that energy gets carried over to no matter who I'm treating. It doesn't have to be an athlete. So Mo, one thing that I've heard you mentioned before, and I have actually experienced as an athlete as well, is the psychological component of injury. How do you, one, recognize that in your patients when you find somebody that's coming to therapy and something's just not clicking or there's something else going on? How do you recognize that? And then how do you address it in your sessions with them as well? Thank you for bringing that up. The psychological component, I think, is massively important with athletes, especially the more I work with them, the more I realize that that's almost where more of my energy has to be because surgeries are getting better, you know, recovery is getting better. The physical side is improving rapidly, but the psychological piece is a little behind in that and almost not noticed because it's not as measurable. It's not talked about, you know, we're so looking at the objective exterior that we're not looking at the other side. So the few things that I do is I have a questionnaire that I ask them. It's a patient outcome measure tool that I've, I've talked about in the past that literally assesses their psychological readiness, right? It's very short. There's just six simple questions. They're great insights to their 
self-perceived confidence. And I use that as a conversation piece because it's a little bit sensitive, right? You don't want to like flat out say, so what are your fears today? You just, you just can't, you have to be a little more subtle and you have to, I think if you couch it in the discussion around their sport, it's easier for them to speak because you're almost talking about their hand and their confidence and how their hand's going to work. And you just get a lot of insight to the psychological component. And truthfully, there's a lot of fear. And if you look at the literature, the most prominent response after injury is fear of re-injury. And in an athlete, that's magnified. So that tool is super powerful for me, not just to discuss, but also guides my treatment plans. And I see where their fears are. And most of them, they have fear, like the lack of confidence in not worrying about their hand when they go back to play. And that for me is a talking point with almost all of them where, you know, they're all eager to go back. They're itching to go back. They have these external pressures from their coaches and their trainers and their agents and the media. Like there's a lot of pressure on these athletes to return faster than they're ready sometimes. And the one thing that I will tell them is if you're still thinking about your hand when you're out there, you're not ready. You need to be able to go back and be focused on your sport and your job, your craft, and not be worried about how your hand's going to do. And that, I think, it's almost like you see their shoulders drop, like, oh, you get me, you see me, you know, that's what we're going to work on. And then to address it in therapy, everything that we were just talking about, the more I bring the sport into the clinic, the more I make it competitive, the more I do repetitive, automatic type activities, it desensitizes their fear while they're engaged in the rehab and they're having fun and they they don't even realize how much they're gaining confidence just by being engaged in those types of sessions. And then it narrows that gap. And then I know they're going to be confident when they leave because we just practiced it in rehab. So it's huge. It's huge. It's a massive part of working with athletes and needs to be worked on and addressed and measured and factored in to the sessions. Yeah. I never, I'll be honest. I never appreciated that impact until it did happen to myself. And my physical therapist had to point it out to me and say, Hey, this is a problem. And I think it's holding you back. And then we addressed it and could move on. And now I feel like kind of going back to what you're saying as an athlete and kind of you get your patients, that was a light bulb moment for me. And I feel like I can definitely pick it up in my patients now a lot better having experienced it. That's fantastic. And it's true for all patients. You know, as as much as we're talking about athletes, all of this is translatable to our regular patients. They all have fear in one way or another. And it's just a matter of tapping into them and understanding what's important to them and how they use their hands in daily life. And, you know, you can navigate a lot of that, but you have to pull it out a little bit more. It's more obvious with an athlete because you know what the sport is and you can dive right in. But with every patient, there's some fear factor in there that we as therapists, it's our job to address and factor in and desensitize and help them feel confident. Sure. I think it kind of parallels even to like machinists or that get injured on the job and they have that fear of going back to whatever that, you know, if they are, are working on a line and they have to work with a piece of machinery and there's that fear going back to even just working with that. So yeah, I think I agree. I think it can carry over into more of our patients, not just our athletes. Absolutely. So Mo, do you mind sharing the name of that tool that you use, the patient outcomes measure? Sure. It is called the Injury Psychological Readiness to Return to Sports Scale, IPRRS. Now, are the questions in there like sports specific? 
Like, can we use that with everyday patients? Oh, I, <laughs> I don't know how it's intended, but I actually think you could substitute the word, like the main word and put in blank for whatever their craft is, whatever their passion is, whatever it is that they're not able to do. So give me one quick second. Yeah. I'm not sure if there is a psychological patient outcomes measures, not that I'm aware of any. Are you, Kara? No. No. I'm sure there is out there. <laughs> so I'll read you the six questions. The first one is overall confidence to play. Number two, confidence to play without pain. Number three, confidence to give 100% effort. Number four, confidence in injured body part to handle the demands of the situation. Five, confidence in skill level and ability. And six, confidence to not concentrate on the injury. And that's the one that I always zone in on, that last one, the confidence for them to not be thinking or worrying about their hands. So I don't see why you couldn't sub that out and just say, you know, overall confidence to return to being a machinist. And, and just like use these, quite, even if it's not truly used as an outcome measure tool, but as a tool to have that conversation about returning to work, returning to play, returning to competition, whatever you're returning to to make sure that there isn't a fear or a risk of re-injury? Yeah, I think it's a good question. And I think it needs to be addressed more in general. I think it's just an untouched, untapped. And when I was an athlete, the psychological part was always really fascinating to me because you know there I was among so many athletes that physically worked super hard and put the work in. But what separated one from another? How did some handle the pressures better than others? How did some rise to the occasion and some folded under the pressure? And it's the psychological readiness piece that those that rehearsed it and practiced it and addressed it, I think just were better prepared for the stressors. And all of our patients having an injury is a stressor and returning to life after an injury is stressful. So I think it's a, an area we should absolutely be aware of and discussing with our patients. Yeah, I can speak specifically for an experience that I had with a, and they weren't an athlete, but they worked in a production line and had a pretty severe injury being pulled into the machine. And probably it was eight, nine months after the injury and she couldn't even walk into the room where the machine was like, I mean, you could see it in her face, even getting close to the door. So I would think it would be very similar, you know, if the injury was a traumatic or life-changing injury, getting back out there, regardless of what arena you're getting into, you know, whether it's a plant, whether it's a basketball court, whatever, you know. And I, you know, I last year for the virtual annual meeting, I had interviewed some of my elite athletes for the opening session. And one of the questions was related to, I think, just what were your fears when you got injured? And, you know, there's this assumption that all they worry about is going back to sport. And some of them were candid about the fact that they were worried about just daily life and being able to function or being able to pick up their kids again or being able to handwrite and like normal people responses, you know? So it just makes you be really acutely aware that these athletes are human beings and they're they're really no different than the rest of us when it comes to injuries. I do want to say something. A couple of years ago, I had watched one of your lectures that you had given at annual meeting. And my 
treatment has changed dramatically and I don't in any way treat tons of athletes. These are just everyday patients. But a comment you made about putting a ball in somebody's hand where it changes from just therapy to having fun. And like when I put those, like whether they're balls, I have them juggle or weighted balls or whatever, they look at me like, you want me to do what? And I'm like, throw it back and forth. And they're like, really? How is that therapy? And then once they start doing it, they really start having a lot of fun and seeing can they throw it higher? Can they throw it farther? So it was really a changing treatment for me because the patients were now starting to enjoy what I was having them do versus here, squeeze this gripper for, you know, 20 reps or, you know, it, it was just a different approach. And I really appreciated you mentioning that in your lecture because it was changing for me as a therapist. I love hearing that. That's fantastic. Balls have been a game changer for me. I've moved away from weights and bands for the most part. And everything is balls from small to big, like light balls to weighted balls. Almost all my workouts have some element of ball transformation in it. And you're absolutely right. The patient's it's relatable. Everyone understands a ball. It's more functional because they're holding something and then it becomes dynamic and it's playful. And it, you look, I don't know, maybe conjures up some childhood memories, but it just makes it fun. You're right. They just start to have fun. And I think that's part of that mental part too, because they start to look forward to coming to therapy and what kind of crazy ideas you have that day, but they leave satisfied because it's a great workout and they have more confidence and they had fun and just like what you described. So I just wanted to thank you. No, for that. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. I just had a therapy session with one of my athletes just before I hopped on and, and literally there were like 15 balls in the room. I feel like I'm in a romper <laughs> room every time, but, and they're always looking at me a little funny, but they can't wait to see what we're doing next. Yeah. Yeah. I even got koosh balls and the koosh paddles and have them just yes. hitting them up and down. Like it's amazing. They don't look at it as therapy anymore. They're like, oh, I can't do this. I'm like, yes, you can just try, you know, and those, then once they oh, see. <laughs> those are my favorite words. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. I had a, a patient just recently teach me about right now I have a string of, oh my gosh, what's it called? I can't believe I'm blanking. Pickleball. Pickleball, oh, a, yeah. a string of pickleball injuries. So I literally had two patients in the clinic practicing with each other. And they were just so happy actually playing the sport that they love, right? And they're teaching me like these really fun tricks that they do with the paddles and the balls. And like, it helps me be a better therapist. And I can't wait to go try that with the next patient. So it's awesome. And sometimes with the balls that the patients are you know, you demonstrate and they are like, oh, that looks really easy. And then they try it and they're like, you tricked me. That was, <laughs> that was harder than it looked. <laughs> so, okay. So you mentioned pickleball. What are some of the like obscure sports or athletes that you've worked with? Not just your mainstream, you know, football, but pickleball. And <laughs> what are some other sports that you've, or athletes that you've worked with? Pickleball has been a trend right now table tennis, like ping pong, like at a high level, that's a crazy sport to watch. Oh, for sure. It's fast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the way I play. I don't know if there's been any other crazies. Most of them are pretty mainstream. It's just 
I love watching their arms come alive. You know, you're doing this normal, like say you have a post-op patient and you start with your standard post-op care and I'm quickly trying to bring their sport in. And as soon as I could get them away from the table and let them do something that is more natural to them, they come alive. Those arms just come alive. The smiles on their face, they're not even aware. It's like a security blanket to be able to put that sport back in their hands. And that that's just such a happy place as a therapist. They light up and for lack of better words, their arms just come alive. They're so skilled with their arms. So when you talk about crazy, it's not so much the sport. It's watching those arms do things that are just like, wow, you know, they're just amazing. Yeah. And I also love the competition part who can beat each other out. And, you know, I thought that was fun to incorporate into the clinic as well. Who can do it the fastest? Who did I beat? You know, those kind of things. I thought that was really fun as well. Yeah. We have arm Olympics in our clinic and the athletes love competing against other athletes and trying to get on the leaderboard and trying to beat, you know, so-and-so that was there the day before. So yeah, absolutely. Sometimes I, I will like literally say to myself, I'm off to play for the day. Like it's, you know, I have a full caseload and I'm looking down the patient list and it's just about what games I'm going to play all day long. And it's fun to say, that's my job. I get to play. It's fun. It is fun. I love athletes. I work with kids, so I get to play You get to play all day too. That's perfect. (laughs) So Mo, switching gears a little bit. So we have been fortunate to have you as our ASHG president and leadership. And you're, I guess, finishing up your term as immediate past president. How have you used and utilized the leadership that you had in the pool and the leadership you've had in the clinic, how have you translated that as an athlete in that leadership role there to leadership in your field? It's a loaded question. Well, thank you for asking that. You know, I think there are, there's so many parallels to draw between being an athlete in our profession. So I already talked about that a little. I, as an athlete was surrounded by premier athletes, actually all levels, right? So I grew up with athletes that were average and I grew up with athletes that were world champions and Olympic champions and world record holders, like the gamut. And I was always fascinated with like, what makes them different? Why are they better? Like, how did they rise to the top? And some of that is just, you know, these, these athletes put in hours and hours and years of dedicated work to perfect their craft. And so do hand therapists. You know, we are the same. We are specialists in our own craft and it's beyond becoming a certified hand therapist, just climbing to the top as a hand therapist. It's the same dedication. And it's like a choice that we make. You know, I watched athletes that that choose to just kind of clock in and clock out and not maximize their potential. And I always gravitated toward those that were leaders in my sport. And so for me as a therapist in our profession, it was similar. I came in very green, very you know new, idolizing the superstars, just like I did when I was an athlete, like a junior athlete. And I think it's just this natural progression of working hard and being consistent and being dedicated to a passion that you believe in. And then the leaders that I idolized in swimming were also the ones that were kind of quiet and humble leaders that led by example. And I think there are a lot of leaders in our profession that are similar. So I I feel like I'm just gravitating toward that and continuing to try to be the best that I can be and lead by example. And then draw this parallel between my two worlds (laughs) and recognizing that we're experts in our craft. And I want 
I wanted my entire presidential year to really drive that message to our members that we are a team. We're a united team. We are leaders. We are excellent at our craft. And you know, our tagline at our annual meeting was to ignite the leader within. I want everyone to believe we're equals. We're part of that same team and we should all be, you know, striving to be excellent at what we do on behalf of our patients. So I don't know if I'm really answering your question, but I feel like I'm part of a team. I don't feel like I'm part of, you know what I mean? I still feel like I'm striving to be at a higher level. That's how I was as an athlete. And that's how I am as a therapist. Yeah. I think that that's, I think you answered it perfectly. I think that's, that is how many of us see it, that we are striving to be that next group of leaders or that we're striving to be, we want to be involved and to get involved early and to get involved and stay involved and striving to, to be like our mentors. And I think that's just, you lead the next generation too. And you are the next generation and then you lead the next one. Exactly. No, like I, I'm a big fan of the underdog and I love seeing young therapists that are interested and passionate and I want to foster that. And I love as the president, I was really able to get a really close pulse on what we were doing as an organization and even more so last year during the pandemic. And I applaud the education division so much for their work on developing programming for that new learner, like the zero to three-year-old, the zero to three, (laughs) (laughs) the really young learner. (laughs) They're striving. (laughs) The next generation, right? (laughs) The students, like the student center and all the student programming and the ones that are transitioning into our profession, maybe as a second career path. Like I just... I love it. I just love fostering that next generation. I want us to be around for another 40 years and continue to be viewed as the experts of the upper extremity. Mm -hmm. Very well put. It's true. That's what I believe. That's how I lived as an athlete. That's how I lived as a leader in the boardroom. I want our team to elevate. It's not about me. It's about our organization. Agreed. Not that it's not about you. (laughs) You're funny. (laughs) (laughs) So I am going to take a second here to plug the education division and the webinar that you just did a couple weeks ago on rehabilitating athletes, expanding your toolbox. So if anybody wants to listen more to Mo, please go on ASHT's website and check that webinar out. It was excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. I was going to plug one thing from it. I think one of the most important things that I think that you said from that webinar is that athletes are regular people. And I think people keep thinking, oh, I've got to do all these fantastic things. and I've got to do these amazing, like I've got to think way outside the box and throw all these different things at athletes. And at the end of the day, you're still going to progress them just the same as you would. You just have different goals and they have different things that they're working toward, but they're a patient like anyone else. And I thought that was really important to hear that most of us aren't treating elite athletes, but we are treating, I treat high school athletes. I treat, or we're treating weekend warriors and their craft is just as important as that elite athlete. Maybe they're not getting paid for it, but it's still important to them. But at the end of the day, they are a regular patient and you're going to progress them just like you would any other patient. Absolutely. They're human. They have the fears. They 
They want us to explain the process to them. For some of them, they've never been hurt before or, you know, at that high level. It's always a good reminder to manage the expectations, lay out what's going to happen, how it's going to work, just like you do with any other patient. And I think it's just from a takeaway from working with athletes, becoming a student of their craft is huge. Just like it's true for any patient we work with. If, you know, sometimes it's intimidating because you get a CEO or a CFO of some big company, they're still human. They still, it's equal. And I, one athlete did disclose at one point that they really, it's refreshing when they work with therapists who aren't focused on the celebrity. They just want them to be treated like normal people and focus on the injury. And that's it. And they, they'd rather be anonymous and just be normal. You know, it's behind closed doors and they just want to focus on getting better. But yes, they're just human beings and it's no different. It's that next phase that we focus on that's important to them to get them back out and competition ready. Otherwise, I don't feel like we've done our job if we graduate them, but they're not really ready to go back. So I've internalized that and that's a big part of my rehab approach. It's a big part of my teaching now when I'm lecturing. We have to go beyond the table. We have to include their sport in the process. Thank you, Mo, so much for taking the time to interview with us. We really appreciate it. And thank you for all the hard work you've done as past president. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Hands in Motion brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. You can listen on the ASHT website and or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, including Amazon, Google, Amazon Music, and Spotify. Once subscribed, please rate and review the podcast to help us reach new listeners and continue to offer valuable, relevant content. You've been listening to Hands in Motion brought to you by the American Society of Hand Therapists. To learn more about ASHT and to subscribe to the show, please visit ASHT.org. We'll see you next time on the Hands in Motion podcast.